Good morning, dear friends. Uh, here I am, a not-so-young dog anymore, trying to, uh, to learn a few new tricks, uh, in particular by way of recording and stitching together different video takes into what I hope will uh, actually be the sermon that you are watching uh, this Sunday morning. This past uh, week, it's been such a joy uh, to dive into one particular story in the book of Acts about the early church and to discover so very much that we need ourselves, especially in this challenging time of pandemic. Amidst their times of loss and suffering and crisis, we meet a church being deeply sustained and graced by God. And we meet a God who promises to sustain and grace us as well. So please join me in prayer. Dear God, you are the one in whom we live and move and have our being we pray this morning for the ability to see more clearly with 2020 vision the difficult and painful realities that are being exposed around us these days. And I pray also that each of us would receive precisely what we need for the week ahead in and through the words that I speak, that we might receive the encouragement, the hope, and the vision that we need. And it's in the strong name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. It's hard to believe that we've already arrived at our ninth Sunday of worshiping separately. Week after week, we've been trying to figure out how to be the church together apart. <laughs> it's not easy. And we've needed all of the initiative and inspiration and ingenuity of each of you to help us to invent new ways of worshiping together, connecting our kids on Sunday morning sharing and praying together in the middle of the week, and holding our community meals now by takeout. And we still have some more things to figure out, in particular how to connect some of you who don't have easy access to technology with the nourishing life of our congregation. You know, after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, we see the early church also trying to figure out how they will begin to care for each other in ways that are faithful to the way of Jesus. And early on in Acts 6, the twelve disciples are suddenly confronted with a serious problem of injustice in their very midst. 
the food that they are sharing at their community meals is not being equitably distributed between the Hebrew and Hellenist believers among them. I had to do a little bit of uh, research to figure out exactly what's going on here. But it seems at this early stage of the early church, the church is still almost completely made up of Hebrew and Hellenist Jews. The Hebrew believers among them speak Aramaic, the tongue of Jesus, and they keep the customs of their Jewish culture. But the Hellenist believers speak Greek and have adopted some of the customs of the surrounding Greek culture. Not unlike Amish and Mennonites, they all share the same faith in Jesus, but they speak different languages and have drawn some pretty different lines in regard to how they live in relationship to the surrounding culture. And one day, some Hellenist believers, Greek-speaking believers, come to complain to the twelve disciples, all Hebrew believers, that some of their widows are being neglected, and who knows, they may even be going hungry. And why is this wrong, so terribly wrong? Because of Jesus. You can't be a community claiming to follow Jesus without caring for the poor and the vulnerable and the least of these, just as Jesus did. You know, this got me to wondering, is the bias among Jesus's 12 disciples here conscious or unconscious? You know, we don't know. But here's the thing that we do know for sure. Whenever a group of us diverse believers gets together in the name of Jesus, we will inevitably have to do the hard work of discovering and naming and dismantling the ways that we undervalue some among us and overvalue others. After hearing this, the twelve disciples then get the whole community together and ask this gathered body to appoint seven respected believers from among themselves to carry out the equitable and fair distribution of food. And the amazing thing is that seven Hellenists are appointed for this task. And we know this because of their Greek names. Wow! Notice the astonishingly Christ-like power dynamics in play here. The Hebrew disciples don't try to silence 
or to control the Hellenist whistleblowers. Instead, they empower this very group to start setting things right. To set things right and to put an end to the scandalous devaluing of some of their members. And right then and there, they commission these seven by laying on of hands for this crucial kingdom work. And one of these seven deacons is Stephen. This is the only place in our whole New Testament that we ever actually hear about him. But what a special one he is because he of his special likeness to the Jesus that he follows. He isn't just known for his fairness in food distribution skills, but also for being a gifted preacher and a worker of wonders. He's said to be full of grace and power, of faith in the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus. And his face is sometimes so full of the light of Christ that people think that they're looking into the face of an angel. But very soon, Stephen's preaching starts getting him into trouble with the religious leaders of Jerusalem. And one day they seize him and haul him before the council, the Sanhedrin, on trumped-up charges of blasphemy against God and Moses. And when asked for his response, Stephen then preaches what is our longest sermon in the book of Acts. It's a scathing critique critique of God's people over time, how they have repeatedly killed God's messengers and prophets. And one of the key questions that Stephen asks is quite relevant to our own situation here in the midst of this pandemic. Is God's presence limited only to a particular building? In this case, the Jerusalem temple Stephen's answer to this is an emphatic no. God can be with us anywhere. God's presence is never limited to any building. And then when Stephen ends his sermon, he ends it by accusing his audience of having a hand in the death of Jesus. And when they hear this, they boil over with rage. They surge forward, drag him out of the city, and begin to stone him. If you feel able to, I invite you now to spend a few moments with a depiction of this terrible scene from our martyr's mirror. Here again, we see Stephen's special likeness to Jesus. Even as he is being stoned, unbelievably, 
we see him praying. And praying just as Jesus did on the cross for the very people who are bringing about his death. Lord, Stephen prays, do not hold this sin against them. Rather than calling down curses and judgment from on high, Stephen asks instead for God's forgiveness and grace. Here we see his radical resistance to evil and his refusal to be overcome by it. You know, prayer, it's been said, opens the door between the seen and the unseen. We move out of our secular fog and begin to see things as they really are. We see the deeper dimension of reality, the really real. And amidst that hail of stones, Stephen suddenly sees Jesus standing, standing at the right hand of God. You know, everywhere else in Scripture, Jesus is always described as sitting at the right hand of God. But here he is standing. What do you think that means? Jesus is standing up for Stephen. Jesus is his advocate. To his murderers, Stephen is merely being sent from his life to his death. But in this vision, Stephen sees that he is now crossing over from life into the fuller life to come with God. Reflecting on this story, the great African-American preacher Gardner Taylor says that Stephen saw what you cannot see when the weather is fair, saw what bright days will never show you, saw what calm seas will never reveal. This got me to thinking, here in the year 2020, when we look out at our pandemic world through the eyes of Stephen, passionate defender of the vulnerable, what do we see? Doesn't this completely redefine what 2020 vision is really all about? Do we not see the terrible inequities in our society between the rich and the poor, between different races, between those who have access to health care and those who don't, exposed like never before? Do we not see that in contrast with many of the other nations of the world, America really is exceptional, exceptionally unprepared, exceptionally unjust, 
exceptionally uncaring toward the most vulnerable among us? Friends, can we dare really to take a long, hard look at what this crisis is showing us? Dare not to turn away. Dare not to avert our eyes. You know, it's right here, amidst Stephen's stoning, that Saul, a.k.a. Paul, makes his very disturbing entrance into the New Testament story. And in this detail from our first image, we see the young Saul, the zealous persecutor of the church, cheering on the mob and guarding everybody's coats. I was talking with one of you this week about this passage, and you said, what a potent symbol of complicity. Amen. Not doing the deed himself, but certainly approving of it and doing absolutely nothing to stop it. I invite you to spend a few moments now with this image. This got me to asking myself, who am I really in this story? Who are we in this story? You know, it's so easy to want to assume that we are Stephen. But what if, in fact, we are really Saul? This past week, I found myself marveling all over again about the depth of the love of God. How God, as it's been said, knows how to draw good out of evil so wisely and so beautifully. Think about it, dear friends. Saul, Saul, the guy guarding everybody's coats and complicit to murder, is the one whom God later transforms into Paul, the passionate preacher of the loving way of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Wow! Paul surely has to be one of our greatest examples of God's astonishing and transformational grace of God using all of our mistakes in our favor. Through a vision on the road to Damascus, Saul's own eyes are eventually opened to see Jesus and to see the way things really are. In the same way, Sisters and brothers, 
may our eyes be opened as well to see what cannot be seen when the weather is fair, to see what bright days will never show us, to see what calm seas will never reveal. May God give us the vision, the 2020 vision, to see and then to join what God is already doing in our world right now to set things right. Amen.